do you care about CDN 77 to retain those 17 out of 20 people who click away due to buffering? CDN 77 is a global content delivery network optimized for video and backed by skilled 24-7 support. Visit cdn77.com slash packet pushers to get your free unlimited trial. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we're talking about CXL, this revolutionary new technology that's going to take the world by storm and completely change the way everything works. Right, Ethan? I mean, kind of, because if we can take all the peripherals that are in a system, the memory and network cards and graphical processing units and stick them on a bus that's outside the chassis and share them amongst multiple hosts, wouldn't that change everything? I think it kind of would. I think it might. It's the dream of composable infrastructure that I've heard for so many years. It could actually finally become a thing. And we've got two people who are deeply steeped in the technology. Craig Rogers, he's a solutions architect at the Camlim Group. And Chris Hainer, he's a lead consultant at HMC Technology. They've been doing the research and taking the briefings, so they're going to tell us all about CXL. Well, Craig and Chris, welcome to the show. Glad you both could make it. Today, we're going to be talking about CXL. And so probably we should start at the ground level here. Craig, can you briefly describe to me what CXL is and where it sits in the overall hardware stack? Okay. CXL is evolution of something everybody's already very familiar with, you know, the PCI Express bus. So basically, it's PCI Express level connectivity but it's going to allow that to extend out beyond the the main chassis of a computer much the same way thunderbolt has you know Th- thunderbolt has been that level of external connectivity and the reason it got performance was it was an extension outside that that extended that pc express bus so cxl is just the the new way of letting us plug in peripherals and components outside of the chassis. Interesting. So what's the differentiation between PCIe itself and CXL? Because it seems like they're almost one and the same. They are. Um, if you imagine PCIe was probably the foundation for CXL and that it provided a, a form factor, you know, slots, it provided power specifications, it provided uh, bus connectivity up to processors. You know, it's provided that foundational layer. CXL is uh, driving more, what would be the term, more capabilities from that PCIe bus that, that's already there. Okay, so gotcha. It's taking advantage of the hardware that PCIe provides, but it's bringing its own operations and capabilities with it. Exactly, exactly that. Uh, you said okay. outside the chassis, Craig. You you mm-hmm. said that a, a couple of times. What do you mean by that? Well, it, it, if you imagine, um, I'm sure we've all architected server solutions here at, at some point so you know let's whenever you're architecting a solution you, you take a, a step back and look you know how much compute do i need how much storage how much ram how much ssd how much spinning rust if you're still using that um how much network throughput and then you, you arrive at a conclusion of numbers and then you would work out the total number of hosts that you need that are sensible you know for for main site and maybe even dr as well and then you would have to take a step forward again and and carve the the requirements into a highly available solution 
you know, so you'd be putting this amount of memory in hosts that that net guidelines, you'd be putting these number of CPU cores, you'd be putting in these number of GPUs per server if you were doing VDI or something. Um, what CXL is hoping to achieve is to allow you to stay back and architect with compute nodes and architect with um, trays of RAM trays of SSDs, trays of AI modules, GPUs, etc. So it, the, what, what's in an individual server shouldn't matter as much because you're looking at that whole pool of resources um, away from a, a server level, you know, one, two, four U server. You, they want you to look at it at rack scale and mm-hmm. potentially multi-rack. So, so CXL outside the chassis really means we're moving towards that world of composable architecture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Moving towards now, that's going to take time uh, until we get there. You know, our, our initial benefits around CXL are, are mostly around being able to compose the amount of memory available to a server. So, how does if we're talking about memory and storage, how does CXL compare to existing technologies that are already out there? Something like uh, Intel's Optane or NVMe connectivity, Chris. What what's what are the differences there? So Optane was, I mean, in certain ways, in terms of memory utilization and cost benefit analysis, Optane was an amazing first try. Um, I think it was a product that was a bit ahead of its time and just never got enough utilization in the market for it to take off. What CXL does by using the existing platform of PCIe, you're using commodity hardware. And in fact, you know, they're trying to do commodity hardware across as many manufacturers as they possibly can. Whereas Optane was kind of Intel's project. Right. Um, Intel incidentally was the founding member of the CXL team all the way back in 2019, but it has since become basically every company you've ever heard yeah. of. Yeah. There's a lot of people in the CXL consortium now. I forget how many companies, but it's, I think we're into dozens that have signed on and or other groups that had similar technologies a uh, gen z p- cops to mind but they've they've donated that intellectual property into the cxl consortium right so speaking of that consortium um i guess they've rallied around a specification um where are we in the development of that cxl specification what is it cxl has a couple of major versions that are important to people um of the ones that matter really are 1.0 slash 1.1 2.0, and then the recently released and deeply theoretical at this point, 3.0. But <laughs> they have a roadmap for CXL that goes out well along further than that. I believe it goes out to either five or six. Am I right, Craig? Yeah, six, maybe seven. You know, you'll be doing silicon photonics and all sorts there. <laughs> so really pushing capabilities there, uh, or at least they're trying to extrapolate out what the potential capabilities of the spec might be. Yeah, that, that aligns with what I've been reading. We got 1, 1.0, 1.1, 2.0, and 3.0. And uh, I, I, I am amused at your choice of words that uh, 3.0 is deeply theoretical. Uh, but the PowerPoint slides we've seen so far are phenomenal. They are some gorgeous <laughs> illustrations of what we're going to be able to do with memory pooling and PCIe switches and, you know, and the such like. But, uh, well, I think they're more than deeply theoretical. I mean, as we said, it is a published specification that is going to enable some really cool things that uh, that we're on track for. And there's been some testing done with some of this deeply theoretical specification and so on. Isn't that right, Craig? 
For sure, yeah. And um and the 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 companies that have been longer standing members of the CXL consortium have obviously all been working together to agree on on what that specification is actually going to be. And you know, these days with flip chip PGA technology, you know, it, it, it's allowing them to to really rapidly develop new products. You know, there's CXL switches out there at the minute, um, which will be arriving on the market soon, where the ASIC doesn't even exist right now, but it's it's running quick enough in mm-hmm. FPGA to, to perform the tasks that are needed. And that's letting them have a real good fast development cycle, you know, and, and why they're working on stuff now two generations ahead of the one that isn't even out yet. <laughs> Well, can we can we delineate what the differences are between one one two zero and three zero? As those are the major specs we keep seeing. One one is mostly inside the chassis. Uh, two 2.0 is going to give you external switching capability, and three is going to let you plug in everything, um, all sorts. You know, GPUs, RAM, disks, whatever you want. What what type of devices are we talking about that we would typically find on a CXL bus? I think you've sort of indicated that a bit already, but it obviously memory, but would you put other device types on there and sort of how are they interacting with the CPU? CXL defines in their in their terminology there are three types of device: type one, type two, type three. Type one is a standard device and it's referred to as an accelerator. So that's your GPUs or a NIC. Uh, or even external processing units as they come available. Type three, all the way on the other side, is a memory buffer. So that's a massive memory expansion, and it's really focused just on that. And type two is in between that kind of has a little bit of both. Mm. So when Craig was talking about what CXL is kind of like, I really like the fact that he used the concept of Thunderbolt. So CXL 1.1 allows types of expansion like that that are unique to the system itself, meaning if you have a Thunderbolt uh, connection, you can connect an external GPU and use that for workloads right now. That's something that you can buy at Best Buy tomorrow. CXL is going to do the same thing, and they're going to do it over PCIe CXL 1.1. So that's for a type 1 device in 1.1. They can also do type 3 devices, which is just in-box memory expansion, plugging directly into the PCIe 5 bus with an expander card or a memory accelerator that will then communicate over PCIe to a CPU that is compatible with this CXL technology. Okay, so that means that the, the CPU itself needs to support accessing the memory that's over on the PCIe bus as opposed to the, the local attached memory that's on its, what, like a NUMA node or, or whatever the correct terminology would be. I'm sure you'll correct me, Chris. No, you got it. Um, and actually, it's an interesting distinction because from what I understand and we're definitely going to have to promote Craig's CXL podcast as much as possible. The most recent episode, they talked about the difference between the memory from an expander being shown as a simple device or with memory software management overlaying it as a virtual device that has more functionality and capability. But in either case, the way that I understand it is that in 1.1, the memory shows up as a new NUMA node that just doesn't have any CPUs in it. So you're still inside the frame. You're still getting memory, uh, motherboard level speed connectivity to DDR5 memory. The only cost in terms of latency is a NUMA hop. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it will be it will introduce latency, and but we're still working with the same physical type of memory. So the same chips I would pop directly into the system board and in my regular DIMM slots, 
those same chips are going to go in this expander card, but there's just going to be additional latency and maybe a little less throughput because of where it sits. That's my understanding. And with this stuff that's inside of the chassis, what's exciting is the amount of latency we're talking about is something that we've all already done system design around. If you've ever installed something on VMware, you understand the NUMA boundary and how to design a system to take advantage of memory inside of the NUMA node in an appropriate way. And that's where I think some of the, the more advanced memory management software is going to be super interesting because the memory can then be aggregated and pooled and the memory management software can then say, well, this system is running at a really high rate. It's going to get the local no memory first. This one is a development system. It's going to get primarily the CXL connected on its own NUMA node first. This gets more interesting when we get into the architectures that involve a PCIe switch. PCIe switch that would be sitting in between maybe the memory and the host that's consuming that memory adds yet another latency hop, meaning certain workloads are going to be fine with that additional latency, but others maybe not. And so there's more design considerations for what your CXL bus looks like and whether or not you include a PCIe switch, depending on what the workload demands are and the speed required to access the memory being consumed. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's where you get into CXL 2.0. Um, and this one, I haven't looked as much into. Craig, do you have um, like use cases or examples around 2.0 that make sense? Yeah, for sure. A couple of things that I want to clarify on there, you know, with CXL, it's not exactly like NEMA because you're not using the QT link, say, but, you know, between processors. Yeah, there's obviously going to be additional latency in, in, a, in a hop, but we're talking two orders of, you know, we're talking more. We're, we're talking multiple orders of magnitude faster than say a network you know it, uh, you know we're not in milliseconds we're in nanoseconds you know and, and uh, so, some manufacturers are saying they can uh, swap memory between devices in you know 100 nanoseconds you know something that quick it's, it's really really quick um jumping to 2.0 and taking it outside the chassis yeah the 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 the, the external connectivity brings about a whole new wave of, of challenges, many of which I don't think we've even thought of yet. You know, one, um, one big one is how are we going to secure the memory in that? You know, how, 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 how do we know that that memory is allocated to that, say, host or, you know, whatever? You know, at some point they may abstract it and present it straight into a virtual machine, you know, we don't know we'll have that capability. It's a virtual Linux device, as you were touching on there, Chris. You know, there's a couple of different ways it can be presented to a machine. So it, it's going to open up a new wave of challenges, control and orchestration. You know, how do we control what host gets access to what RAM? Yeah, yeah I, I had a briefing from Broadcom on this, and they got into this specific topic that there are these are challenges that have not been nailed down yet exactly how all of that is going to be dealt with. Uh, if you have multiple hosts on a shared PCIe bus or the CXL bus, you know, through a switch that can hit the same memory in theory, that's that's a problem. And so you have to allocate the memory to one host or the other. How do you do that? That's a that's a resource management challenge that isn't known how that's going to be solved yet, as I understand it. And then you you use the word security, Craig. Were you getting at if there's yet another actor that's plugged in there that is like, I, hey, I, hi, I'd like to get access to this memory location. And then they just walk in and access and see what they can pull. Is it that kind of a thing? For sure. What are the biggest tax services we have at the minute? You know, uh, VMware, say, 
You know, it, it, if you get access to VMware, you've got access to all the workloads underneath. There's going to be something that composes CXL moving forward. You know, the company that wins might not even exist right now, but something is going to have to orchestrate that and compose it. And it, if it's composable, it's exploitable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you have the ability to allocate that and allocate who has access to that, that that's an attack surface that, that's going to have to be controlled. And it's one we have experience with. It's not unlike if you accidentally gave administrator level control to your, you know, blade chassis fabric. That person in a similar way as VMware, they could do whatever they wanted with whatever is connected. Mm -hmm. So the CXL is going to be connected and going to have to be secured in the same exact way. Yeah. So instead of chassis manager, it'll be a rack manager. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. This is not entirely unlike when we introduced storage arrays and you had a shared pool of disks, and then you had an operating system dedicated to the storage array that was going, going to hand out permissions and access to those various uh, LUNs that were carved out of the storage array. And you did have the capability, in some cases, to give read-only access to some machine, while one machine would get read-write access to that LUN. That definitely raises some security concerns because if the wrong machine gets read access, it could have access to potentially sensitive data. And I know, like, if you think there's sensitive data on disk, who wait till you get to memory because that is assumed that mm. it's, uh, you know, only dedicated to a single thread usually. And so processes do tend to put really sensitive information in memory, assuming that it is secure. What if it's not? And like, I'm not asking for a solution. I'm just like picking holes in, in potential problems we're going to have to deal with down the line. We have to assume that they, they already have something in mind. You know, companies like KMD and Intel are backing in even software level security into the hardware of the chip. You know, the, and with the people who are on board in the consortium, security will have been considered. Um, our first market is most likely to be hyperscalers, you know, given the the, the CXL 1.1 feature of, of RAM composability, they, they stand to gain the most commercially in, in optimizing that use of RAM. You know, over 50% of a server cost is, is memory. So it makes sense to, to take the biggest thing and, you know, try and get operational efficiencies there. But w- what I have not seen is, is, is huge amounts. Of, I don't know how they're going to secure properly yet. Hopefully find out soon. So we've been talking a lot about memory here because that does seem to be most of the noise as you watch CXL presentations. They talk a lot about memory and memory use cases that are going to be enabled by CXL. What about other peripherals? I think, Chris, you might have mentioned uh, NICS network interface cards being on a CXL bus of some sort. So are there other use cases for peripherals like NICS that are interesting that CXL is going to enable? They vary based on things that actually exist and the hypothetical, but things like NICS and GPUs are on the roadmap as obvious low-hanging fruit. Any component you can think of that was part of a single standalone server could conceivably be put on the PCIe 5 or 6 bus using CXL. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the things that are in between the the Type 2 devices that I was talking about are particularly interesting and are a little bit more in the future. Like One example would be a GPU that has additional memory attached to it that could be shared intermittently between systems as it's needed. So let's fast forward 10 years. You're in, a, a, I don't know, a pod of five or six systems that are connected via CXL. Not everybody's going to be running a full GPU workload at the same time. So you could have a situation where you kind of claim the GPU, 
man, I'm thinking now in mainframe terms, uh, you hmm. claim it for yeah. a period of time, it's dedicated to your workload. And then when you're done, it's released back into the pool for someone else to claim. So that's kind of an example of a, a product that already exists. Everybody understands a GPU. Everybody, you know, to Craig's point, memory is really expensive. Being able to reuse it means you save a lot of money and TCO is really massively benefited. It's not there, sitting there in a slot taking up server real estate when you don't need it for most of the time. You, you have it on a bus that's a community property. Anybody can get in there and use it. It's, and it's time sharing kind of thing. Yep. And that's also, that's full CXL 3.0, because we're talking in that point of full fabric connections and multi-layer switching. Uh, also, 6.0 doubles the bandwidth of PCI 5, which is going to make a lot of this technically and bandwidth-wise practical. Hmm. The, the, there's another aspect there regarding memory. Um, th this is going to give us, you know, we, we've had tiers of storage for, for decades. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, we've had tiers of storage. We've never had tiers of RAM. We've had, if you had a DDR3 system, you DDR3 RAM, if four, five. CXL is going to let us use tiers of memory now because now there's going to be direct attached, fast, connected, plugged into a DIM on the motherboard RAM. There's going to be potentially a huge pool you know, four times size behind that on CXL that may not have the same throughput, has not dissimilar latencies, but it won't have the same throughput. But it doesn't have to be DDR5. It could be DDR4. It could be DDR3. You know, do, do all of your instances in AWS, you know, do all your EC2 instances need DDR5 RAM? Or do they maybe only need three? Hmm. You know, they, they might not need the, the fastest RAM available, which is what DDR5 is right now. Right. When, when, you, when you said AWS, that triggered a thought in terms of how the hyperscalers are going to enjoy this, because the way that they decide to buy hardware and the way that they size their instances is because of the limitation per box. So I can put X amount of memory in a box. I can have X number of CPUs. And so I will carve it up thus and such that I get the maximum amount of utility out of each metal box as I sell it off as instances. And if I want to have GPU enabled, you know, virtual machines, then each of the hosts needs to have that GPU that can then be time shared out to the individual virtual machines in that box. This completely changes that model for the hyperscalers. They can now buy individual components and then compose them together as needed to service whatever instance type and size you want. Hmm. And uh, there's a lot of workloads that go hugely vertical, you know, SAP HANA, and HPC workloads, you know, there, there, there's a lot of workloads that will benefit from huge amounts of RAM. Uh, virtualization might, it, it, it's a gray area. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to implement that yet. It's obviously going to come, but it, it's at least going to give the hyperscalers the, the, the option to provide these, these, these huge amounts of RAM in, in, in machines. Um, and they, you know they're not going to have, you know they might only have a couple of those in a rack, you know with with other workloads, you know it, it, it's going to give them a lot of options to, to try and process as a hyperscaler scale is <laughs> you know yourself is difficult, it's difficult, but I'm sure they'll have teams of very smart people on it. Let's pause the po po podcast for a bit. Research suggests that 17 out of 20 people will click away due to buffering or stalling, and I am definitely one of those 17. There's lots of stuff to watch out there, and there's no reason to wait around.
If your company delivers online media, consider CDN 77. They are a globally distributed content delivery network and they're optimized for video on demand as well as live video. CDN 77 is not some newcomer to the scene. They are used today by many popular sites and apps, including Udemy, ESL Gaming, Live Sports, and various social media platforms. And that makes sense to me. CDN 77 has scale. They have a massive network with distribution points all over the globe and plenty of redundancy. Well, that means you shouldn't have problems. What happens when you do need tech support? CDN 77 offers 24-7 support staffed by a team of engineers. No chatbots, no tickets getting routed around queues while no one actually does anything. Just no-nonsense dedication to your issue to get your online media back to 100%. To prove that CDN 77 will work for your content delivery, visit cdn77.com slash packetpushers to get a free trial with no duration or traffic limits. That's cdn77.com slash packetpushers for a free trial you can push hard for serious proof-of-concept testing. cdn77.com slash packetpushers. And now back to this week's episode. Does the CXL bus enable communications without the CPU being in the middle? Can, can devices on the CXL bus talk to each other directly? Not yet. Mm. Mm. Three, I think. Yeah, three and three, three plus. They yeah. actually have things on the, on the roadmap yeah. where you have um, micro CPUs or chiplets or things like that at the edge of whatever your compute platform is that will communicate only back to the main server when necessary, which should speed things up with much smaller, much more efficient single purpose CPUs that are connected over CXL. But if you have the smarts, you know, even existing CXL switches that are in play already have 256 lanes of PCI Express that they can process. You know, the, 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 the fourth generation Intel scalable processors only giving you 64, but the switch can process 256. So if you have devices behind that switch that can talk to each other, technically it's four times quicker than, you know, four times throughput of going through a single CPU. That's interesting. It, it, it builds a different sort of client server architecture and they're not even servers. They're just like uh, <laughs> these little devices talking to each other. You know, this GPU needs a little more memory. Oh, it's just going to grab a slice of memory from the, the memory shelf. Doesn't have to talk to the CPU about that. Just grab some more memory for its process and away it goes for a while. That's, that's a, it's a very different. I'm curious what this does to network traffic, because in my mind, if I have all these different servers and they're all connected to the PCI switching uh, fabric, then I don't need to have NICs riding a traditional Ethernet necessarily, or I could put the Ethernet over the PCI Express bus. I, I'm just like, I'm spinning here, but it, it does change the way that individual servers and virtual machines might talk to each other using the networking stack. I, I think IPUs, infrastructure processing units, are are already um, are are already offloading a lot of that. That it doesn't go back yeah. over the PCIe bus. They want to try and free up. I think the PCIe bus delivers as much throughput as possible for um, necessary. The the best type of traffic. You know, you don't want to saturate the bus with network traffic if you don't have to. IPUs will move that out to behind the switch. So if they can go straight out to the network and not interfere uh, and not take up bandwidth from the PCIe bus, that, that, that could be good. But you're right, it, it, it's going to transform networking. Ned, you were, that scenario you were describing was almost like host-to-host -host traffic, though. Like, you, yeah. you, were you suggesting that you could have host-to-host -host comms, like, I don't know, RPC calls between microservices running across the PCIe bus? 
Potentially. I mean, why why run it out uh, a network card and hit the the Ethernet and then whatever layer one you have there for your Ethernet traffic when you can just ride the PCI Express bus with your DPUs or whatever? Now we're using a lot of acronyms. (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of the separation will maintain itself if for no other reason than it's going to be team based and security based. Not unlike how we have out-of-band networking and a completely separate Ethernet port than production networking. There's no reason to think that that kind of separation wouldn't still exist, even if there was an opportunity to communicate much more quickly through the PCI bus. That would be for private traffic, right? So once again, you would have your Oracle rack nodes talking to each other through PCI, but talking to the internet through Ethernet is my suspicion as to how it would end up. Right. right. I, I think a lot of these new products are probably, you know, they're not going to hit the market on the on the, at the cheapest <laughs> option. You know, new, new products, R&D, they're going to have to get that money back. So I imagine certainly uh, short and near-term networking equipment will cost a lot less, but mm-hmm. when the options are there, somebody will use it. Another question kind of related would be, does memory access over CXL uh, in probably a 2.0 or 3.0 iteration, does that obviate the need for RDMA or InfiniBand technologies? Maybe. Like InfiniBand has always been five years ahead of Ethernet in terms of latency. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At what cost point right. extra? You know, it, 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 it's going to come down to money again. You know, InfiniBand has always been the lowest latency choice, but Ethernet is prevalent. Yeah, InfiniBand is like the opposite of cold fusion. In five years, everyone's totally going to be using InfiniBand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we've mentioned the fact that some of this hardware doesn't exist yet. In fact, a lot of it doesn't. Uh, what actual hardware can I buy today that implements CXL? Can I buy anything? Uh, you can buy a PCI Express expander card that will let you plug in four DIMMs and provide uh, half a terabyte of RAM through a PCI Express slot. That, that's all that, will just, have... that would just cost <laughs> yeah. money. Yeah, You will, of course, um, need a CPU and a system that supports CXL. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, okay, so that raises the larger question. Is there a CPU and a system board that currently supports CXL? <laughs> if you are friendly with Intel or AMD, yes. And they will lend you an engineering sample. Uh, but until yeah. we get fourth generation scalable, uh, Sapphire Rapids or AMD, you know, yeah. there, there's nothing on the market right now. Yeah. It, yeah. You got to have, this is a hardware uh, issue. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, I can't take my, uh, my 2012 era HP workstation Z80 in my basement. That's running uh, ESXi seven right now and upgrade that bad boy to CXL. Nope. Ain't going to happen. Nope. Got to have board, got to have chips. Boo. But also, yeah, yeah I saw speed, you know, it looks like AMD is going to win the race. They claim that um, variants of Genoa are going to be releasing in actually just about a week on November 10th. Mm-hmm. But uh, shoot, what's it called? Sapphire Rapids and Ampere Computing has been working on an ARM chip. Mm-hmm. Both of them look like they're going to release in, quote, early 2021. Three, early 2023. <laughs> Did I mention that CXL is a time traveler? <laughs> We're just going to throw those uh, motherboards in the DeLorean and send them back to your Depreze. <laughs> okay, so that's good to know that the hardware is, it, it's not way off in the future. It's coming out very soon. And they developed these system boards with the CXL specification in mind. 
AMD kudos to them. They held back. You know, Zen Four. They they held back the architecture until the you know CXL spec was locked in. You know, they they delayed it to make sure they could deliver what what everybody was doing with CXL. Intel have more hit uh, some roadblocks around fixing bugs, really, on software rabbits. They, they, they spent a fortune. I think every time they spin up a new wafer design, it costs them something like 10 million just to come up with you know, the new disk. Mm-hmm. And they've had to do that 12 times to, to, to fix software rabbits. So 120 million just in spinning up new wafers until they were like, yeah, we're happy enough, we'll put that out. Wow. At least they did it. You know, they could have just fired it out. You know, I'm happy there was QA, nine figure QA, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be that QA engineer who's like, nope, no, go spend another 10 million. <laughs> yeah. You know, in, in the next three months, you know, if, if they're three months behind, six months behind, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, at, at least another interesting point, though, you know, P- PCI Express 3 came out when 2000 and is it 13 or 14? 13, 14, and, and we've been using it since then. And PCI Express 4 only just really came out with ISLEC, you know, at the start of the year. We're already moving to PCI Express 5. The, the, the cadence or frequency with which we upgrade PCI Express and hence CXL buses is going to have to increase to, to get this out to the market properly and get people the functionality they want, which is, you know, it, 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 if they did it every two years instead of every four to eight mm-hmm. and that that could get us using cxl3 within five years it, i thought like that was the cadence i thought that we were trying to get to cxl3 by 2025 yeah. time frame yeah and we're, we're 2020 oh. late 2022 as we record this so yeah which coincidentally is when all of the fobs they're building worldwide come online yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah what are yeah, the chances <laughs> All right, so we, we've talked, a, we have had a good bit of pie in the sky in this discussion because we've all been watching these CXL presentations where it's the future and that's what we're marching towards and this is coming and and so on. But what can we do today? Do we have use cases either today or, or coming very soon, the early use cases that people in the industry are excited about with CXL? All the early use cases and... By that, I mean, realistically, getting in the hands of companies to use in production. AMD realistically said three to five years before this stuff becomes worldwide. I mean, there's the supply chain to consider. There's the amount of time and and proof of concept that has to go into it before you see this stuff at Best Buy. But um, to Craig's point, there are products that actually exist. Um, We saw a couple of them at the OCP Global Summit where you could see memory acceleration in a system happening in real life. From a, that was from a company called Astera, but they're not the only one. So they definitely are trickling out to the market. Right now, we're in a very uh, cautious place, I think, with these uh, vendors, because the ones that I looked at all basically said, contact us for more information. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I know Optane has been turbulent this year, we'll, we'll, we'll call it, but it, it, it's given us a lot of the technology solutions that we needed to be able to do memory pooling because it gave us access to a different tier of RAM over, you know, it, granted it was over the same bus, but it got it it got presented as a device. So a lot of the engineering challenges around tiers of RAM have already been sorted. You know, you have companies out there that are already, um, like some Memverge there are already providing optimizations around RAM. And, you know, if you're running a, a 
uh, say a spot instance in EC2 and you're worried that instance is going to get reclaimed but it's got a huge workload on it you can take snapshots of ram and you know if that spot instance gets reclaimed restore that snapshot in active machine state to a new spot instance you know on, on identical hardware so a, a lot of the the engineering required to do it already exists it just needs to be tweaked adapted mm, yeah okay that makes sense because but i guess the other big thing about optane is it was persistent so it wasn't just that it was another tier of memory. It was that it was also a persistent memory. But we're it not, could be either. Okay. We're not going to be either. Yeah. With the CXL memory we've been, expanders we've been talking about, because those are just regular DDR4 or 5 DIMMs, right? Yeah, but I don't see Optane going away because, you know, if you look at the latency chart, you go from spinning disks to SSD, you increase an order, you know, you reduce an order of magnitude. If you go from SSD to NVMe, you reduce an order of magnitude. If you went from NVMe to Optane, uh, persistent you reduced an order of magnitude and then ram was another you know at the minute the it, it slotted really nicely into a, an options chart there and in, in terms of latency i don't see that performance of persistent memory going away it you know it's massively backwards it, if we go back to nvme we're 10 times slower than what we were with optane and granted optane didn't get anywhere near as much adoption but it, it may through a cxl bus and Intel have a huge stock of it, you know, an absolute <laughs> mountain of stock of it. You know, there's Intel product, there's Optane memory products coming out that aren't even on the market yet. You know, the 300 series will come out. It's not even out yet, but they've already announced that they're killing off Optane. But there's still a whole lot of servers that, that, that you can plug it into. Huh. That's, it would be, I'd feel a little odd buying a server with Optane knowing that it's an end-of-life product. Yeah, but but they built up so much stock. You know, Micron stopped building it donkeys yeah. ago. They they have so much stock there. They you know I think they wrote off half a billion, but mm. there's a mountain of it out there. But I wouldn't want to buy it either though. <laughs> from a from a use case perspective, early use case perspective, is uh, there a play for CXL with AI and ML workloads? I think that's exactly where the Type Two devices come into play as well. Um, we talked a little bit about it with GPUs, which is kind of shorthand for AI ML processing anyway, right? So yeah. yeah. Whatever type of chiplet you want to talk about can be put into an accelerator and attached or assigned temporarily or otherwise to a system in CXL. So I think a couple of things like that that will come out sooner rather than later, they make an obvious use case. Not every system needs you know, 16 neural link type of processors in them. Um, and if you've bought a system and all of a sudden you want that functionality, this is a great way to connect it directly without having to buy a brand new system. Yeah, chiplets are exciting too. You know, even the high bandwidth memory, have you seen that? HBM, you know, it's ludicrously fast RAM, you know, way faster than system RAM. And say you don't need a huge amount of cores, but your workload will benefit from very, very, very fast RAM. You can have, so if your chiplets, you imagine you have four chiplets on a CPU silicon, you might say, I'm happy enough for 64 gig of RAM to be enough for my workload. If it's really, really, really fast and the rest is say two chiplets of CPU cores and one chiplet of GPU cores, you're going to have that mix and match functionality. So the, the amount of SKUs coming out of Intel and AMD in, in future is going to be phenomenal. Just with all the sheer combination, you know, the, the choices that you'll have at chiplet level, you know, it's massively increasing their stock complexity there. Yeah. And that's, that's really the dream is to have an entire rack or an entire row of CXL hardware that you can configure at will update one device or one module or one node at a time, modify on the fly 
and have everything running over a PCIe 6 bus, except for Ethernet, of course. Well, it makes upgrading servers, uh, it makes upgrading all the components interesting. Ah, this RAM's too slow. We're going to upgrade the shelf of RAM today, you know, and pull it out of the pool and re-add it to the pool as, as a faster thing. Same thing with with any of the components that would be in a system attached to the bus, like like CPU, the main main board. Oh, we're pulling out this stuff today and putting it, plugging it back in to the PCIe bus, and uh, now we're at the CXL. Now it's it's easier to do those uh, replacements. Um, a lot of assumptions about abstractions and how you're doing your workloads and you know and all the rest, but that becomes feasible where you don't have to pull out an entire RU or RU's worth of servers as a as a working together compute node with everything in the box. You can upgrade individual components to meet your needs. Another nice point about CXL is, um, now I've, I've been clarifying this, um, you can make all your hardware backward compatible. So you could release a CXL3 device now that meets the known CXL3 standard. Use it at 1.1. And as long as the vendor will provide hardware support in that device, it, it might do you for, for years to come. You know, mm. in terms of uh, expansion. Now, obviously, the hardware w- would run at PCI Express 5 speeds now, but functionality-wise, it, it could be capable in the future. Um, now, I'd, oh, I can't remember, Stephen Glasser from NVIDIA maybe pointed out, there's an overhead in providing that backwards compatibility. Not all vendors may do it. And it might not make sense for all components that we, that we plug in, but, but it's an option. Hmm. The thing that I keep thinking about is the operating systems that are going to be going to be necessary to handle this composable architecture, kind of like how we had to invent the hypervisor to deal with virtual machines. And Chris, you had mentioned earlier the concept of, wow, this sounds an awful lot like we're building a mainframe. (laughs) So are we going to see a resurgence of like a just giant mainframe style operating system that oversees, you know, multiple racks of CXL gear and just composes things for workloads. And just, it's a thought that occurred to me. What does an operating system looks like, look like when the hardware capabilities have changed so drastically? Right. And I mean, you also hit on an important point for the current, which is the operating systems have to support the CXL protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, there are three major subsets. We don't have to get into the, the details of it, but it's cxl.io.cache and .memory are these protocols that exist under the CXL banner. Current versions of Linux already support it. Um, like I said, we've seen demos. All the demos are done with Linux. I can't imagine why. Um, I'm not positive where Microsoft is, to be honest with you, whether or not they support it right now, but they're going to need to support those three protocols in the short term to make any of these devices functional or at least maximally functional. When we talk about CXL3, CXL4, and full composability, I completely agree with you. I think there's going to be a revolution in the way that operating system, or perhaps I should restate that as the way that hypervisors are written. Because it's not Linux that needs to change necessarily, it's ESXi that needs to change. I I was just thinking about that, because if you guys have followed the story of Project Monterey and allowing direct hardware access from uh, ESXi, from a VM through ESXi to some uh, unusual piece of hardware, like a DPU, let's say, that's been tough, hard work for the hardware vendors and VMware to make all that go. This just sounds like another significant challenge to me. 
You have mentioned a, a vendor there that is strangely absent from the, the CXL consortium uh, page. You know, you're not going to see VMware there anywhere at, at mm. the moment. That, that um, is, that's interesting because they are going to need to grapple with it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, but but they've been they've been very supportive of uh, NVMe over TCP, you know NVMe over Fabric, you know the, the, uh, are are they going their own composable route or uh, the, it, I don't know I don't know I I don't know if anybody does at at the minute there, but the, the, they're not they're, they're not signed up yet. So so interesting prognostication uh, speculation we can do here. Broadcom has acquired VMware. Broadcom's all over this CXL thing, has all the chips in the pipeline that are going to be a, a part of the chain. So maybe that eases the transition and helps grease the skids for VMware to get their hypervisor uh, on board with that and enabling VMs to leverage uh, CXL-attached hardware. Hmm, maybe. I just made that up, everybody. So if you think yeah. that was nothing <laughs> official I heard from anybody, I'm literally just thinking out loud. <laughs> The current architects out there working on data center platforms, you know, outside of, say, public cloud. Uh, you know, anybody looking at multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, or VMware specifically, are going to look at VMware logo and go, all right, VMware on board. I'll know VMware are adopting it. And it, obviously, in a year or two, they're going to be under the Broadcom umbrella. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. All right, well, gents, Ed, this has been fascinating. It certainly got my mind churning on CXL and what the, the future possibilities look like. If folks are hungry for more CXL, uh, where would you point them? Is, is there a canon that's just shooting off CXL information for them to subscribe to, Craig? Co coincidentally, yes, there is. <laughs> Uh, yes, so I am currently co-host on a podcast, um, and it's you'll find it at Utilizing Tech, and it's Utilizing CXL. Um, and all we are going to do is talk about CXL um, once a week this year for the, for the year ahead. Um, we've recorded a, a number of episodes already, some of the the, the guests that, that Stephen has lined up are fantastic, and I'm excited. I hope you are excited to, to listen to them as I'm excited to, to, to speak to these people and, and try and find out more. Yeah, so I've listened to two episodes already, and uh, that got me excited for this conversation. So, Excellent. Yeah, if Excellent. folks want to keep listening for more, we'll include the link in the, in the show notes. Uh, Chris, is there somewhere you'd point people for your own insane ramblings? Oh, my insane ramblings are available at hainer.net. And I also co-host a podcast with one Ned Bellavance called Chaos Lever, which I am sure is going to touch on CXL from time to time from here on forever. <laughs> we definitely don't have that in the content pipeline at all. <laughs> cool. Uh, Craig, what about you? Where, where can folks find more just from you? Just for me, you can find me on at Craig Rogers MS on Twitter. I'm also on CraigRogers.co.uk. And I'm pretty frequent on LinkedIn as Craig Rogers. Awesome. Well, Craig Rogers and Chris Hayner, thank you for joining us today on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, virtual high fives to you for tuning in, dear listener. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear about those suggestions. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day 2 Cloud Show or go to the website day2cloud.io. And we have a whole link just for you to click on and fill out a little form and, and we'll scurry off and do some research and make an episode happen. So, you know, click the link, do the thing. 
uh, hey, if you're a vendor out there and you've got a way cool cloud product, you might want to share that product with our audience of IT professionals. And you can do that by becoming a day two cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem. We'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. You can find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Till next time, just remember cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.